0: Welcome to the Carl Vibe podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube, to the Carl Vibe YouTube channel. Uh, It's been a little while since I've done this. I've had some technical difficulties with all of my equipment and stuff like that, Uh, and we've been making a lot of changes, selling real estate and different things in our life, making changes on YouTube and having a lot of different things going on, but uh, it's been really good. So now we're back. I've got some stuff figured out. I've let some incense. We're uh, all set up here in the podcast room. I've got the vibe all set. If you're not watching this, if you're just listening, I've got a red tone in here, good lighting. I've got good uh, atmosphere going on, just kind of hanging out. I've got a couple of cameras set up. We're just going to have some fun today, and I want to talk about something interesting. Everybody in the world seems to be fascinated with with dreams, and I want to tie that into a concept of something I've been really interested in called non-duality. It's this ancient principle, this really old philosophy that comes from Hinduism um, and Buddhism that has to do uh, with this term called Advaita or non-duality. And it's something I've been studying a lot because basically when you wake up in the morning, I've talked about this on the podcast before, when you wake up in the morning, there's something that compels everybody in their human innate spirit or Atman in Hinduism is what they call it, that compels you to want to go out and accomplish something, to seek to become something better, to complete a task, to pay bills, to fulfill some sort of role in society, to do all the things that you do. And um, there's a lot that goes on behind that. And why do we do that? What is the thing that compels us and what is reality as it is. Cause we just get lost in the story of our life. Every day you get up and you get hustling and going after it. But one of the things that's fascinating is that every day, no matter what, if you want to or not, you get to the point where you're exhausted and you're tired and you lay down and you go to sleep. And then if, unless you have like a sleep disorder or something like that, then you go into a dream state. And I just want to, if you, if you hang with me here for a minute and imagine this for real, what, this, what it's really like to be dreaming. So when you're in that dream world, and let's say you're standing somewhere familiar, maybe kind of illusory, like it reminds you of a place that you know, but it's sort of pieced together from places of the past. Maybe there's figures and characters there. You have conversations with people. There's kind of a storyline that goes on. And you have a whole dream. Maybe there's cars or vehicles. Maybe you look up in the sky and even see clouds in the dream and it can have color. A whole story plays out. Uh, and this all is happening while you're sleeping, right? But just for a minute, let's consider everything that the dream world is in reality. Is there really, when you, when you look at a car in the dream world, is there really a car there? No there's just like an illusory imaginary perception of a car that all is kind of a hallucination or a projection that comes from within the infinite self or yourself that kind of creates the dreamscape within your own mind. But the reality is, is your body is just laying in bed in kind of a coma, right? (laughs) Laying on a mattress, which is fascinating. Um, And so if you're in this dream world, if you're asleep and you're dreaming And you have a whole conversation with another person. And in the dream, you have this, maybe you have a whole fight. You know, guys have dreams where they get in altercations or they stop some home intruder, you know. And so let's say you have a dream where you get into an altercation with someone. Is that other person, were they really there? Or was that all just an imagination within the dream? And so, everything that whole, the physicality of that fight that you had with that other imaginary dream person while you're asleep, even though it's 100% real at that moment while you're dreaming it, the truth is, is that all it is is a contraction of energy that's occurring within yourself. It's a projection of an illusory mental world or a dreamscape that you're imagining and you see yourself as an individual soul separate person within that dream, even though the reality is there's no separation between you as the individual in the dream and the entirety of the dreamscape itself, the people, the buildings, the cars, the clouds, everything that happens within that dreamscape is really just one thing, one energy or imagination, one Unified, non separate thing within yourself, right? It's just your dream. The entire universe of that dreamscape is really just you, right? Okay, so now that we kind of have followed that and we can agree upon that, we're going to get into some really fascinating stuff and dig into it deeper because I want to touch on a lot of different topics that uh, different people, professionals from throughout time. So we're going to go into old. Buddhist gurus and Hindu teachings, old uh, Upanishads and things like that. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the most ancient teachings that have to deal with this that come from meditating and um, uh, people, ancient people that went up in the mountains and tried to discover the source of, like, who am I? Where do we come from? What is the nature of reality and what is existence and what can we understand from all of it? And it's really fascinating stuff because it's kind of at the core of every religion, and here on the Carl Vibe podcast, we are unafraid to discuss these things with a light heart. We're not going to take any of it serious. We're not going to offend anybody or anything like that, but we, uh, I just want to talk about these interesting things because if you look through all the different spiritualist beliefs, all the different religions, even psychology, and even scientific research and quantum physics, people who do lucid dream studies, or when you look at all of it, you realize there's a tapestry or a thread that ties through everything all together. And everybody seems to be talking about the one and the same phenomenon, the one manifestation of everything that exists in reality and what's creating it. How does that happen? Are we just kind of like an entity here in actual physical reality? Or is reality some sort of a manifestation that's coming from our presence? here experience and, uh, experiencing and observing it. It's really fascinating stuff, but there's cores of uh, philosophy and science that go throughout time, ancient of days, clear back to you know, 1500, 3000 BC uh, sort of stuff, all the way up to a modern non-dualist or people that talk about Advaita. And so I want to explore that today with, a, with an open mind and see what you guys all think. So Let me know down in the comments, or if you hear this, uh, I would love to hear your feedback on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever. So, all right, let's get into this. Let's dig our teeth in. Let's sink our teeth in here and get going at this. It's going to be really fun. Um, First of all, Advaita. Most people in the Western world, in America, in the United States, uh, are going to have no clue what Advaita is, I'm assuming. It's an old uh, uh, word in Hinduism uh and people immediately dismiss it they think oh wow there's all these when they think of hinduism they think of the the plethora of the hindu gods and the paintings of all these kind of like grotesque sort of depictions of different sort of entities with claws and severed heads and scimitars and things like that and what people don't really know in hindu uh, that those representations are actually supposed to be representations of the ego or different parts of yourself so there's one god uh, in hinduism i can't remember the names but basically that has huge bellies and giant appetites and then little teeny tiny mouths it just means having the attitude within yourself and your ego that you're never satisfied you know that's kind of what it means so it's like the different parts of your personality that can rule over you that you should be aware of. That's what all that is. So you shouldn't be that intimidated by Hinduism. And a lot of it has to do with your inner relationship with those parts of your own personality. And it all has to do with your own mindfulness and self-awareness through meditation. It's really cool. So the term Advaita comes from this. Advaita Vedanta comes from these ancient Buddhist hindu teachings a lot of it is where christianity actually comes from Is a lot of these old teachings that evolved into different types of traditions and got used in different kingdoms for different uses so the term advaita means actually non-dual not separate it refers to the idea and i'm going to be reading from different uh, books and things like that different people throughout time talking about this topic so if i'm looking away from the camera that's why so The term Advaita non-dual refers to its idea that the true self, which is you, Atman, is the same as the highest metaphysical reality of the universe or everything that exists. So Advaita means that your true self or who you are, your true identity when you really discover who you are, is not separate from everything that exists, from the entire reality. Keep in mind when we talked about Being in a dream, everything within the dream is not separate from just a manifestation coming from within the self, right? So we're going to explore that and how that all the ancient religions and all the core teachings of spirituality throughout all time, trying the mystical secrets throughout all time, or all have this same common nugget or seed or core which is this oneness, becoming one with God, returning home to heaven, unification, uh, Advaita, non-duality, no longer feeling away and lost and separate, but returning home and becoming one, right, forever. So that's the whole idea. So Advaita is talking about this in the most ancient terms. So it says that your true self, when you discover it, Atman, is the exact same thing as everything else, just like in a dream, right? It's very interesting. We're going to get into this. Atman is a Sanskrit word that means your inner self or spirit or soul. And in Hindu philosophy, especially in the Vedanta school of Hinduism, Atman is the first principle, the true self of an individual beyond identification with phenomenon, meaning Beyond just like what you're experiencing day to day, like I'm putting on my shoes and socks and now I'm going to work and I'm eating dinner and all that. Inside your inner self, your true inner identity, the witness of everything that's going on behind all of that, even your thinking, that core witness of who you are is the Atman. Okay? So it's the essence of the individual soul. So in order to attain liberation, a human being must acquire self knowledge, right? Um, which is to realize that your true form and your true self, or Atman, is identical with the transcendent Brahman, meaning that yourself, your true core self of who you are as an entity, as a human consciousness, is no different than the entirety of all Brahman or all existence as you experience it. So meaning everything that happens, you have to see and hear and touch and smell and observe, or for you, it didn't happen. It's really interesting. Okay. So we're going to, let's talk about Brahman. Brahman is the highest ultimate reality in the universe. I'm talking about, these are, I'm defining a uh, Hindu terms here so that everybody can get up to speed before we really get into it. The highest ultimate reality in the universe is called Brahman. The unchangeable infinite is the single binding unity behind diversity in all that exists. Okay. So it's like the force that binds us all together, but it's also the mat, the immaterial and the material. So it's like the nothing and the something, all the physical matter, and the nothingness, so the space in between everything and the planets and stars and all of existence and reality as we think we're experiencing it, that's all Brahman, okay? Everything outside your soul, including your body, your hands, all that stuff is part of Brahman. And that's the realization you're supposed to realize is that that's not separate, okay? So Brahman in the Upanishads, which is like the scriptures of Hinduism, these writings, uh, Indian sacred writings, the supreme existence or absolute reality is um, the Brahman. So in the origins of the word, it's derived from Sanskrit. It's kind of actually unclear what the word means, but a variety of views are expressed in the Upanishads, and they all agree in the definition of the Brahman is this. It says that it's eternal consciousness. It's irreducible, infinite, omnipresent And the spiritual core of the universe. So basically, it's like we're describing characteristics of the Christian God, like um, omniscient, omnipresent, untouchable, unchanging, eternal, all those things. Okay, infinite and finite. Unchangeable, yet changing all things. Right, those kind of descriptions. That's Brahman, all reality. Okay. It says that differences in interpretations of Brahman characterize different schools of the Vedanta, so there's different teachings about what all of these different uh, things mean. Of course, everybody has different uh, philosophies on it. But uh, they're all based on these writings called Upanishads that are very interesting. If you're into spiritualism, you want to deepen your meditation, I recommend uh, reading Upanishads. They're very fascinating. According to non-duality and Advaita in the schools of Vedanta, Brahman is categorically different – from anything phenomenal and the human perceptions of differentiation are elusively projected on this reality. Does that make sense? It's like a dream. So they're saying that Brahman is categorically different from anything phenomenal. So it's not like this table is over here and there's the moon up there. What they mean in Advaita is that everything is an elusive projection of uh, on this reality, so it's not separate from Atman, it is what you are. Reality is you, all of the universe is uh, a relationship with you, all the way within and without. It's really f- cool stuff, okay? Um, so here's what it says The uh, I can't hardly pronounce this word, sorry, the Badan Beda. Hopefully I said that right. Sorry. It's B-H-E-D-A. B-H-E-D-A is how that's spelled. It's dualists, non-dualists. It's like both, like yin and yang. Dualist, non-dualist. School maintains that Brahman is not different from the world, which is its product. So basically, like, everything is coming from our experiencing of it. Like the old saying, uh, Koan in Buddhism, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. And this in um, ancient teachings and stuff say that, uh, no, because just like if the tree falls and crashes in the forest, that sound is created by the concussion, creating vibrations through the air, right? And as those vibrations, boom, vibrate through the air, someone or something has to be standing there with an eardrum that those sound waves can vibrate against to receive that concussion or vibration in order to have a conscious perspective there and awareness there to know that that's a tree falling and to interpret it that way and say, hmm, a tree just fell in the woods. So if there's no one there to hear it, the concussion just goes on unheard and doesn't make a sound fascinating. So does sound even exist if there isn't a witness to the sound? This teaching says no. So reality is subjective and dependent upon you and I and people being here, uh, experiencing it. But who are we? Maybe we're just this one non different universe experiencing itself through different perspectives. So that's kind of what we're getting into here. Really cool stuff. So Advaita Vedanta means that once you discover your true self, the Atman, you discover that you are identical with the Brahman. The Brahman is the substance of everything in existence and reality, including what is obviously happening right now, including watching this podcast including hearing my voice or sitting on the toilet or driving in the car, whatever you're doing right now, and me sitting here doing this podcast, me you know, talking into this microphone, is all part of the infinite, eternal oneness of all things, and that's all that's happening for me right now. That's existence for you 100% right now is this. You're it. What's happening right now is Brahman and Atman, the true self, Eternity. (laughs) Okay, so here's where we're going to get interesting. Okay, Now we're going to jump around. I've covered some of the basic definitions there. I want to talk about uh, some of the different schools of thought. So if you're Mormon, this might be interesting. Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, Hindu, all of these uh, Jewish might be interesting. I'm going to try and skip around and cover different things without talking just about religion the whole time. Uh, I just want to have a good conversation. So this is from a book that I read recently called The Garden of Paradox, The Essence of Non-Dual Kabbalah. So we'll talk about, this is ancient, ancient Judaism. um, Rav Dobver Pinson is the author of this book, and he's talking about the ancient core um, beliefs and mindsets, mindsets or inner perspectives of the Kabbalah. So the Kabbalah is ancient Jew- Jewish tradition uh, and meditation practices and beliefs that are supposed to um, basically help you realize your true potential and identity through that faith, right, uh, through the tradition. So in this book, he talks about and divi- defines out the different levels of the non-dual Kabbalah in this ancient tradition, what it means. So level one, is called yesh, it's finite form or physical reality. So the basic mindset that you can have in reality is like, oh, here's a table and there's a chair and all right, I'm in my car driving to work and this is all real and I have a body and this is it. You know, like evolution and the physical reality is is who you are and it's the finite form, right? The physical forms of reality. That's supposedly the first level of perception, the most basic uh, level that's gained through your senses so in that level of yes there's up down uh, past future me and you inside and out everything is separate right there's over there and I'm over here and it's a whole world that revolves around form and movement the planet's turning reality as you think you're living in it right now so the world exists and it's real and um, it's the lowest level of awareness okay? Interesting fun fact: In the ancient ancient Kabbalah, uh, God's name of this of that realm of the Yesh world, the finite, most limited, primitive form of reality of awareness, God's name over that realm is called Elohim, which is means lower nature or normal nature is Elohim. Very interesting. Level two, a higher perspective of spiritual awareness. Uh, that you can attain through spiritual development and inward development and introspection and all that is called infinite formless or nothingness. Okay, This is where it starts to get into non-duality. This is where you sense only unity, where you start to see reality as just all one thing, not separate from your own sense of perceptions. Nothing is separate, and also there is no time. So the idea of time, a past and a future becomes sort of an illusion in that level. It's sort of like a dream. You have this sense of like the beginning of a dream and the end and years could go by, but reality, when you wake up, it is revealed that none of that actually had a true continuum. It was totally an illusion of your own making. So in level two, uh, the world does not exist and is an illusion, and there's no time, and God's name in that realm is Hashim, which is beyond nature, okay? So beyond, it's where you realize this isn't really physical. The physical reality is just an illusion, and it's all not separate from my sense of self and how I'm experiencing it. So you start to get a little bit deeper there. So level three, then, goes even farther, and that is beyond and including all reality, So beyond form, so physical forms, and non-form, so all the non-form things, spiritual realms, emotional realms, and the space in between all physical things, the place that you go in in between being awake and dreaming, that gap of nothingness, that's all part of of reality too, right? So beyond and including all reality, beyond form and non-form, the ultimate and that transcends and includes both manifestation and non-manifestation, movement and stillness. It's pronounced yesh amiti or true existence. So in this realm, level three, this is the highest plane of self-realization that you can achieve. You realize that God is everything and there is nothing besides God. And, what's interesting about that is there's nothing besides God that includes you. And that sort of turns inside out and outside in, and you realize you're it and it's you and it's not separate and it's real and unreal. Just like, uh, when you're in a dream, the entirety of that dream, you are the seer of all things. You know, all things you're the creator of all things in the dream. Um, you're basically the god of that realm. Nothing exists outside of you and you but it sort of happens on its own. And all the kind of elements that exist within being lost in a dream or being lucid dreaming have the same sort of terminology as like being the god of existence or being like, okay, so if when you're in a dream, that entire reality is your perception of awareness, and that's all there is. Then there is some sort of oneness that comes into reality when you're awake. That's just impossible for us to accept, could be the same when you're awake as when you're asleep, but we somehow see it as all different. We can't accept it. But this whole teaching is that the world exists and does not exist, it neither exists nor does it not exist. I'm reading this right out of the book. God's name in level three is Ani or Anohi, which is I am. Beyond, beyond, within, within, beyond, within, within, beyond. I'll read that again. So it sounds like, imagine a dream, but this is also supposed to describe what's happening in existence and reality when you're awake all the time right now. So this is what the deepest level of the Kabbalah teaches. Okay, this predates Christianity and everything. It says, um, the deepest level of understanding is coming to the terms of realization that that reality both does not exist and does exist. Just like a dream is real, but not real. Like when you're in the dream, it exists. It's a real dream, but it's not really real, right? Okay, so it, it uh, both exists and does not exist. It neither exists, nor does it not exist. And the name of that realm is I am. Uh, and that's supposed to be applied to the sense of self. So it's I am beyond, beyond. Beyond all realms is all coming from you. And it's also within, within, beyond within, and within, beyond. So it includes everything and it's supposedly not separate from you. So in Kabbalah, the highest teachings of enlightenment, level three, Yeshamiti, is the realization that everything is an illusion. right? But it is also that there, it's also all that reality is. Even though this might be a dream, some sort of a really intense, continuous reality of a dream, illusion, like a simulation possibly is the way they describe it now. It's still inescapably what's happening. And it's still all there apparently is that's happening right now. And you can't get away from that. So even though you're meditating and trying to get somewhere or you go into the temple and you're trying to transcend, you want to like achieve some kind of enlightenment and go somewhere, what you truly awaken to and the enlightenment that you receive is this inner self-knowledge that, oh, I'm it. This is it. It's not, (laughs) reality isn't separate from what's happening in my life right now. And this, what's existing and happening in my life right now, as I perceive it and I'm experiencing it, is a part of eternity. It's a a part of the infinite, perfect what's happening, and it can't be anything other than that. (laughs) It's kind of wild. Okay, so the idea is that reality is an illusion, but it is also all that there is as far as reality goes. So the idea is that God is I am, which is meant to be taken personally, not dual or separate from your sense of self, okay? And it's not meant to be like sacrilegious, but this is supposedly like what what Jesus was teaching, and then he said to become like him too, so it gets really strange, right? So it says, I and the Father are one, not two, and the same is supposed to go for you and me. In other words, if God is in all things and through all things and timeless and encompassing, all space and time and existences within God's awareness at all times. then Yesh Amiti says in the Kabbalah that there is nothing besides God, and you're it., Ooh, it's a paradox, right? Like <laughs> you can chew on that however you want to, but that's at the core of all sorts of mystical religions even at the core of christianity and mormonism is this idea of becoming like god and this weird stuff but the um, the the blasphemy of being able to consider such things is like saying well this is heaven or this is heaven and hell and this is this is eternity right now you're experiencing it time is an illusion people get offended by that for some reason um because <clears throat> it puts it all on their shoulders right your own perspective and reality, what's going on. It feels like a huge disappointment. <laughs> like if this is heaven and hell all in reality all at once, you're already dead and alive and this is it, just in a perfect balance and what's happening is it. People do not want to hear that, but that's part of non-duality. It's really interesting. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's just something to explore. So here we go. So consider this paradox. How can all existence be just you and your single perspective, but also include everything else? How can it both be real and unreal at the same time? How can it be everything that there is, but also be nothing at all? So I'll ask those questions again. How can all existence be just your single perspective, but also include everything else? How can it be both real and unreal at the same time? How can it be everything that there is, but also nothing at all? The answer to that paradox is, or puzzle, is that if reality is a dream or an illusion or a simulation, then all of those things fit, right? If it's a dream or an illusion, self-perpetuated, infinite self-projection of some kind, or a simulation, then that fits. How can existence be just your single perspective but include everything? If it was a dream, that's true. How can it be both real and unreal at the same time? If it's a dream or an illusion or a figment, that's true. How can it be everything there is but be nothing at all? Well, that sounds like a dream or an illusion or a projection. Okay, so that's what it's talking about in these ancient uh, Kabbalah, all this stuff. Okay, so... Alan Watts, we're going to jump. Now, Alan Watts, was he was a Catholic priest who went into Eastern philosophy and mysticism. He learned uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, he tied a lot of different threads together. Uh, a, a big inspiration to me, I really like a lot of Alan Watts and what he taught a lot of his lectures. He also taught a lot about science and tried to tie physics into everything. So this is kind of what he said. Alan Watts talked about in a book called Supreme Identity. I'm going to get into this too. So we're touching on all different fields and people from different time periods throughout history, all talking about the same deep mystical secrets of what life is and reality is as a whole. So he said, now keep in mind that Alan Watts is pointing this at you. All of this is meant, you're meant to hear this like while you're introspectively meditating and looking inward, asking yourself like, who am I? Okay. So have that in mind. So who am I? trying to ask yourself that. So he says, for purposes of generating the finite world, the ultimate reality has, as it were, the power of restricting its own knowledge of becoming finite. This paradox will be clarified when the time comes to show that the infinite and the finite are neither opposed nor mutually exclusive. So now this is where, man, he goes deep here. Omniscience okay? Omniscience is like knowing everything, being aware of all things at once, being able to know every molecule and particle, every thought, the space between everything, the movement, the time, all all of that, okay? So, omniscience is all-knowing, right? All-aware. Omniscience, omniscience, and I struggle with that word. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm going to struggle to say that a lot. Omniscience must mean that the infinite knows every single object simultaneously. It will furthermore know each object with its entire self. As if each object were the one and only thing to be known. Because our consciousness can attend to one to only one thing at a time. Such a state of affairs is far beyond imagination as anything could be. Just because the infinite is in a se- is in essence... Other than the infinite, there is not the least need for it to insist or cling to its own unique position. Remember, he's talking to you, not realizing, like, he's talking like you're God, not God in the sense of like a uh, bearded guy up in the sky, but like from your perspective, you're it, is what he's saying. Your reality is just what you're noticing, and that's all it will ever be. So he's saying you are playing hide and seek with yourself. So he says, without ceasing then to be infinite in the least degree, it manifests the finite universe by imagining itself to be every single finite object by an abandoned and wholly unreserved absorption of itself in the life of everything that it lives. So he's saying everyone and everything is the universe. Is just you getting lost within your own fantasy, right? That's possible or like an illusion or a simulation of some kind. Um, Very interesting. So he says, he goes on here. Alan Watts says, everything that we know is now in our consciousness. Everything that we know is now in our consciousness as is well recognized. We have no knowledge of an external world of distances between our bodies and other things or of moving from place to place to another from place to place to another, as anywhere but within the field of our own awareness. So he's saying if you're unaware, if your consciousness isn't present and aware, you have no concept of any kind of movement or distance or anything going on. In other words, while we speak of knowing the external world, continuing on what he says, while we speak of knowing the external world only through impressions made on our minds and senses from outside, the very concept of our sense of externality and the very existence of the sense organs themselves are known only within the consciousness. So he's saying even when you're touching something, like if I'm picking up my phone in my hands, uh, the conscious perspective that I'm holding this phone still has to occur within the deep core center sense of self, the infinite self with behind as the witness of all thoughts the witness of every feeling, the sensation of holding the phone in your hands, all of that has to go through the aperture of your awareness, your one soul awareness, right? It's very interesting. Okay, so he says, all of the sense organs and everything that you're experiencing from your sight, your touch and all of that is all known first and foremost with your consciousness. So the basic awareness, the fundamental identity and knower, is a point of view taken by that essentially infinite and omniscient consciousness, which is the ultimate reality. That sounds like Advaita. That sounds like the third level of Kabbalah. That sounds like what we've been talking about. It also sounds like a dream or simulation. The basic awareness, the fundamental identity and knower, that's your sense of self, is a point of view Taken by that essentially infinite and omniscient consciousness, which is the ultimate reality. Right, Atman is the ultimate realization of Atman is that it is not separate from Brahman, from everything. Kabbalah says that the highest level, uh, number three, is Yesh Amiti, is that everything is not dual. It's your everything is God and it's all one thing, and existence all is not separate from who you are. It's really cool stuff. Um, so it ties the world together with this profound sense of oneness. So we have uh, Alan Watts talking about it, uh, really fascinating. Okay, continuing on here, <clears throat> he says. The purpose is to work for the attainment of a future goal determined by a present lack. So he's like, this is when I started out talking about. When you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Okay. I have to become something. Or when you go to church or when you're meditating, you're trying to get somewhere. You feel like, I just want to be free. You know, I want to arrive. That's why this podcast is Arrival, you know, Carl Vibe. Where are we trying to go? Where are we trying to get to? What have we not obtained? So he says, to have purpose is to work for the attainment of a future goal determined by a present lack. Obviously, then the infinite can have no purpose for being infinite. It lacks nothing. And being eternal does not live in terms of past, present or future. Okay. So that's really interesting. Okay. So it doesn't lack anything. So eternity, infinity isn't going anywhere. So if you get to the edge, imagine the infinity, if they say space is expanding, right? They say in science that the universe is expanding. Okay. Well, what's outside of that? So if the universe is like a bubble, like a ball and it's expanding out from the big bang, is there like a a wall of reality there? And then outside that, is there like there's something out there which is the nothingness. There's an empty nothingness that goes on forever that really is infinite, that's untouched, that's timeless, that is this untouchable kind of the sense of the place that you came from before you were born when you're really honest about it. It's kind of interesting. Okay? So Advaita is that which does not exclude anything, that which has no outside. It's a state of consciousness where you can perfectly well carry on your daily affairs. Okay. Beyond the illusion that you have to go well away from everyday life, the paradox that infinity or eternity, that there can't be anything outside of it. Okay. It's already fulfilled. So without uh, trying to sound crazy, it is totally just a paradox. Reality is supposed to be taken as an illusion, a sincere illusion, but not a serious one. Okay. But this is also all there is. Your life as you're experiencing it is that reality, okay? So reality is an illusion, but it's also all there is. Just like when you're fully in a dream, that's it. That's the entirety of that reality, right? The entirety of the experience of the dream exists as an illusion in your consciousness, and everything isn't separate from that. Nothing is separate within the dream, so, all experiences for you are known by that center of self, of the infinite self. So, this is where it gets funny. Um, so, the whole point of this, the entirety of this, uh, to fully awaken, to experience nirvana, Advaita, the second comforter, whatever you want to call it, to become like God, if you want to get like that. You literally are supposed to, at the deepest mystical secrets of it, when you finally arrive. The whole point of arriving there is is you literally are just supposed to realize that your ordinary day-to-day existence is what you're doing right now in that capacity. And that not knowing that and not being able to realize that about your situation and feeling totally lost in life, in the physical reality of life and all its problems, um is a part of that perfect illusion it's a part of it it's a part of the perfection of that infinite eternal and full experience that's what's happening so everything's an illusion or like a dream a perfect balanced amazing dream that god is having and you're it and it sounds crazy and blasphemous and backwards but that's at the core of all the teachings that you're supposed to arrive at someday and realize the deepest mystical secrets. <laughs> I'll say that to become that or to self realize that. And you're going to have to do it. That's the whole path is to become that someday or to realize that. And if that's the case, then it's not separate. Then infinity is already everywhere now. It's already done. So you're in it right now and just don't realize it. That's the whole mystery. The secret of being behind the veil is having forgotten your true identity, your true situation where you're actually at. Interesting stuff. So it's the total lack of knowing and the searching to find, the feeling lost, seeking for answers, searching for contact, trying to seek communion. They're all just the one and only perfect infinite self wanting to experience all those emotions and varieties and struggles and things as you being lost and not knowing that that's what you're going through because that's what you want to experience, right? That's the idea is that you're going through it and inescapably you don't (laughs) realize that you are and so it feels uncomfortable and away from home and all that. So imagine one consciousness being all that there was, perfectly whole and infinite, without change, untouchable, suddenly deciding that it wanted to get lost in the realest of real illusions, and that's what's happening to you now. Okay, that sounds also a lot like simulation theory, sounds like Advaita, it sounds like the third level of realization in Kabbalah, it sounds like the what you're supposed to realize at unification and union and all that stuff, okay? And even we get into science and Einstein even said that time and space are models by which we think and not conditions in which we live, right? Reality isn't even what you think. It's just an illusion uh, within our own perceptions, even time and space. Okay. Now we're going to get into some cool stuff. We're going to come into modern stuff. Uh, We talked about Alan Watts, talked about Kabbalah, ancient Hinduism, and Advaita, Vedanta, the Atman and the Brahman and the Upanishads. Uh, really quick before we get into the modern stuff, I thought it would be really fun. I have a, a book here I have a book here um, so the Upanishads are like the ancient Hindu writings and teachings that are all supposed to help you through meditation uh, this one is is the uh, Advura Gita I terrible here I'm gonna hold it up to the screen uh, Advura Gita of datur. I hope I don't offend people. I'm, I don't speak the <laughs> language uh, translated by Swami Chittananda. I'm trying really hard, but I'm failing. But here's what's really cool. I still respect and love <laughs> the writings of these books. are really cool. They've helped me a lot with meditation and all that. All of these have. Um, so and, and they all speak to non-dualities. These are old, old, old writings. So I'm just going to flip the page, and we'll see... If we can find, okay, so I'll just turn it open here. Uh, So these are the different writings in the Upanishad. I'm holding them up to the camera here. And I'm just going to read one randomly. It says, the yogi attains that eternal supreme Atman, whether he is a self-restrained aesthetic or not, whether he possesses much wealth or not, whether he is active or inactive. The yogi attains that eternal supreme Atman, which is not the body, senses mind and intellect or ego, neither is it the five uncompounded elements, nor the five gross elements, nor of the nature of space. It goes on and on and on. And if you keep flipping through and read this, all of these basically just say um, that the Atman and the Brahman are not separate. So why are you so upset? (laughs) All reality and your sense of self and your own perceptions are the same thing. So what's your problem? That's basically what a lot of them say. Like, if you're the one that's in the dream, then wake up. That's what it's saying (laughs) in a lot of different ways. Like, uh, you're manifesting all of this in some sort of um, superposition sort of uh, way. Anyway, so now let's talk about the way that modern scientists and people discuss these exact same topics, okay? If we step away from religion and we start to get into – theories and uh quantum physics and dream state studies modern science and things like that then it gets even more interesting cuz we're all still seemingly talking about the same thing as what is happening in reality it's like energy taking form as everything nothing happening as something and nothingness doing something nothing happening <laughs> What a relief, right? Donald Hoffman, I really like this guy. Uh, I've read one of his books. I can't remember the name of it right now. Case Against Reality, I believe is what it's called. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Donald D. Hoffman uh, is a really interesting scientist. He says, to construct the essence of vision. So he's talking about your visual sight, right? Your visual perceptions. To construct the essence of vision, dispense with construction, and you dispense with the vision. Everything you experience by sight is your construction, right? So he's saying if basically in crude terms, if you take away your eyes, the vision, the entire visual realm of perception doesn't exist. Just like I said, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no ears there to hear the vibration and through the air, it doesn't happen for you. Uh, so you so co-create reality. All right. We're in, also Donald Hoffman says we're inclined to think that perception is like a window on reality as it is. The theory of evolution is telling us that this is an incorrect interpretation of our perceptions. Instead, reality is more like a 3d desktop that's designed to hide the complexity of the real world and guide adaptive behavior. Space, as you perceive it, is your desktop. (laughs) Physical objects are just the icons in that desktop. That's Donald Hoffman. So Donald Hoffman is saying basically that when you are looking at, when you look up from your phone or your device or you look around, wherever you're sitting or standing right now, and you become aware of your reality around you, everything as you see it, smell it, touch it, and feel it is not as it actually is, it's just an evolutionary perception or an illusion, some sort of a holographic perception of touching and feeling and sensing things the way that they are and the way that you see them is sort of like a user interface, but not really what's going on. And Donald Hoffman goes in to describe this even further. That's very strange. Like if you were on your computer and you had to, you know, move Maybe, a file, say you have a music folder or a video file and you want to drag it and drop it in the trash can. If you actually had to go and write every single bit of code into the computer and go in with electrical impulses and go and shock all of the ones and zeros to make that happen at all that detail, you would never be able to get it done. It's completely ineffective. So what has developed is these desktop interfaces with icons where all you have to do is drag tr- and drop and it deletes itself and everything happens autonomously on its own. So this idea of you really doing it all is sort of just an illusion or an interface covering over or hiding you like a veil from what's really going on behind that veil, which is all the actual circuit boards really going on that you are completely blind to. Okay. So he's saying that reality is the same thing. So when you reach out across the table and you pick up an apple and you hold it up for breakfast or something like that, or for lunch, and you pick up that apple and hold it in your hands. The representation of that apple looking the way it is, smelling how it smells, feeling how it feels, tasting how it tastes, and everything that it does for you in your perception of reality is completely just a user interface, just like a desktop icon, a way that you are perceiving it through your senses that's not even close by a long shot to what's really going on in reality It's just the way that we have learned to see things and the way that we do see things in reality uh, in order to get through it. That's from a straight-up hardcore physical evolutionary perspective, but when you tie that in as a thread to what we've been talking about, it's still really fascinating, okay? So everything is like a sort of desktop virtual reality. So if that's the case, then what we're talking about is that when you pick up the apple, it's still just this sort of form of energy, a nothing happening, just a simulation or an energy that's a perception occurring within the infinite self. Advaita Vedanta, <laughs> third level, Yesh Amati of Kabbalah, uh, the oneness, the infinite self. We're talking about all the same stuff, right? We're talking about the same stuff. Okay, getting even more interesting. Stephen LaBerge, uh, Stephen Leberg, he's an American uh psychophysiologist. Okay. So he works on the brain psychology and the physiology of the brain, specializing in the science of lucid dreaming. So w- lucid dreaming is when you're dead asleep dreaming. And then within the dream, you're like, Oh, and you become aware that you're dreaming. And then you can kind of take control of the dream and manifest certain things like be able to fly and stuff like that. So Stephen LeBurge or LeBerg I hope I'm saying his name, right. This is a quote from him. He says, "Our brain simulates reality. So our everyday experiences are a form of dreaming, which is to say they are mental mode, or mental models, or simulations, not the things as they appear to be. Our brain, this sounds a lot like Donald Hoffman. It sounds like everything we've been talking about, our brain simulates reality. So our everyday experiences are a form of dreaming, which is to say, They are mental models, simulations, not things as they appear to be. Okay. Now we're going to jump clear back. I'm going to quote Buddha. Ready? (laughs) Jumping from Stephen Leberg and Donald Hoffman to Buddha. And he says, with our thoughts, we make the world. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. That's Buddha. Okay. Here's another Buddhist, uh, uh, monk, uh, Guru, Ramana Maharshi, uh, oh my gosh, these names. Ramana Maharshi, he says, understand once and for all that time and space do not exist apart from the mind and that the heart is not bound by them. Anyone who's done deep, true introspective meditation understands these things are real. Understand once and for all that time and space do not exist apart from the mind. It's all just from where you're standing in your perspective that you think time's going on. If you go anywhere else outside of our planet or in the universe, that sense of time or when you go out there, it not it's not even real, right? When you're in a dream in another realm, you know, there's no time, none of that, right? It's all relative to your perspective of awareness, okay? So that's what we're talking about. And then he also, Ramana Maharshi says, to see God is to be God. He alone is God. Right? That sounds like what we were talking about earlier as well. Here, uh, here's another quote That which does not exist always, but exists at one time and not another, cannot be real. You exist always, and you alone are therefore real. Ah, that sounds a lot like what we've been talking about. Non-duality, Advaita Vedanta, third level Yashamiti of Kabbalah. Right? that which does not exist always, but exists at one time. So after you die, if you carry on in this life, when this universe dissipates and is gone, and whatever comes next or whatever, your reality is always just going to be one thing for you, and that's your existence, right? Okay, another quote from Ramana Maharshi. Very interesting. Talking about the purpose of meditation for inner self-searching and awakening, right? He says, Nirvana is that state wherein the sense of separation, or or sorry, Nirvana is that state wherein the sense of separateness does not exist and where the ego has sunk in its source, the heart. Nirvana is the perfect state. There is neither seeing, hearing, nor experiencing in it. There is nothing but I am awareness. Just I am that I am, just the I think therefore I am, I exist, and that's all I can really, really know from my perspective at the core of all ancient teachings, okay? Now, you guys have all heard of Schrodinger, right? Schrodinger's cat. (laughs) If you put the cat in the box and you don't know if it's alive or dead, then all that, you can look all that up. Okay, so quantum physicist Schrodinger, he says, here's a quote from a book uh, written called Schrodinger and Indian philosophy philosophy by Michael Bitball. This uh, quoting from this book says, now there is also a third element of prediscursive experience, which was used by Schrodinger in his philosophical inquiry. The third element has something in common with the Zen practice of koans. Okay. Koans uh, are like puzzles or parables, little riddles, Like the one I said earlier, like if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, you know, and things that are supposed to make you really dig deep into your inner personal self and question reality. Those are called koans, okay, in in Zen meditation. So this third element has something in common with the Zen practice of koans. He's talking about what inspired Schrodinger in his science and scientific work koans, namely enigmas, which provide the listener with a feeling of instability and astonishment or absurdity, which may trigger realizations of enlightenment. Um, But here it was Schrodinger who formulated his own koans for himself. Uh, Let's see, it says in the first part of his writing called My View of the World, which was written in 1925, Schrodinger asked himself these questions why are you, you and not somebody else? Why do you live now and not at any other time? Okay. Like uh, think of this man who was sitting here one century ago. Was he another person? Wasn't he identical to you? This is still Schrodinger asking these questions. After all, what is your I? Oh my gosh. It was only after a series of such questions that he noticed, okay, so this is going on, Schrodinger's quoting this, it is by observing and thinking this way that one may, may suddenly experience the truth of the fundamental idea of Vedanta. So he names it right out. It is impossible that this unity of knowledge, of feeling, and of choice that you consider as yours, like your experience of reality, was born a few years ago from nothingness actually this knowledge this feeling and this choice are in their essence eternal immutable and numerically one in all men and in all living beings it's all one thing the life that you are living presently is not only a fragment of the whole existence it is in certain sense it is in a certain sense the whole He's saying the same thing, okay? That's from Schrodinger and Indian Philosophy by Michael Bitbull. So Schrodinger, he, was, uh, he went into the koans, wrote his some of his own, and even he talks about it. Okay, so now I want to quote a little bit from straight-up modern non-dualist. He's still alive today. His name's Jim Newman, and he's uh, just straight-up non-dual. And he'll go around and and give lectures and talks, and he'll answer questions and talk about what reality is, what is it that you're looking for, and answers those questions. So I'm going to read a couple of things from him. This is a modern non-dualist today going around and talking. We'll see how this all compares. Okay, the solution or the end of seeking isn't a finding. That need to find something is never satisfied. He's talking about just like your inner sense of self and purpose and who are you. Okay. It never happens. If it does, it's very temporary. If finding something and I'm afraid, oh, like I find something and I'm afraid of losing it. I find something and I'm trying to hold on to it. (laughs) Does that sound like you, right? I'm trying something and I'm trying to maintain it. I'm never satisfied. The end of seeking is the end of the seeker, right? Is the end of the experience that this is real. I'll read that again. The end of the seeking is the end of the seeker, is the end of the experience that this is real. What is left is what's obviously everything. This, this doesn't need anything else. He's talking about what's happening right now in your reality as you look around. This is already all there is. Whatever is happening, whatever feelings, thoughts, experiencing our experiences are happening, that's the wholeness that is looked for. It's not the wholeness the individual is looking for. It's not the wholeness that the I am is looking for. It will always be dissatisfied with this. It's a wholeness that's beyond the personal seeking, beyond the personal need for something more or something else. He goes on and says, Life is not separate from what is. <laughs> it's so obvious, right? Without separation, there's no space or distance in which the need for a meaning of life could arise. Okay. It's really interesting. Here's another part. All right. Uh, okay. Here's a good one. Okay. The good news is that there's no such thing as separation what the separate sense of self is looking for is all there is there is only that I'm talking about right here and now this okay he goes on he says this is not particular or exclusive it is everything exactly as it is everything as an ex, is an expression of wholeness this right now what's happening is a part of the infinite wholeness right so everything is continuing on here Everything is an expression of wholeness. Everything is the end of the sense of separation, which the separate sense is looking for. But in looking, the separate sense can only register something, the particular, right? When this reality is recognized, it is seen that there is no separation, that the sense of separation was simply a dream, that it never happened that there is no and never was a separate self in the whole of everything, <laughs> right? It's just like realizing you're in a dream, but nothing changes as there never was separation. The appearance is no longer informed by the search for the end or for the fear of death and the neurotic outcroppings of that search, but everything is still everything, in the, I'm still reading from Jim Newman here. In the absence of the search, there is an unknowable wonder that, uh, that this what is can be just that it appears a quiet awesomeness, a quiet awesomeness, he's talking about reality, being a quiet awesomeness that is the meaningless, purposelessness, explosion of everything, which is an anarchy of love, absolute freedom appearing as whatever is happening. Pretty cool. So the purpose of meditation, you know, is to, be, is to go beyond the mind and experience our essential nature. But that experience is still not separate from just sitting there on the ground and being a meditator and, because that's what's actually happening. It's not separate from sitting there with your legs crossed meditating. So you still have to, you know, accept what is and what's apparently happening. So there's nowhere to go other than to realize that like what is happening here and now as all that there is, but also the point is that that's only an illusion or a sort of dream. Everything is just one thing and it's you appearing as everything. Just like in a dream, it's you manifesting the entire dreamscape and everyone that appears in it. Just like in a dream, everything that you experience is technically still just you. That's the idea. So the biggest teaching secret of all these teachings is that life is a dream and that you're it and that this is it and that's all it will ever be for you, right? Like God, infinity, all these concepts, eternity, heaven, hell, fulfillment, the ultimate realization in all these teachings and the thread that goes through all of them all the way to the beginning all the way up to now is that everything that is sought for and experienced Is has to go through the infinite self, and that's just one thing, which is what is happening for you. Like, (laughs) what's shocking is that that's usually just you sleeping or getting watching Netflix or laying around or listening to a podcast, driving to work to go to a boring job. It's like that's hilariously part of the infinite eternity of what's happening in reality. As lame as that is, it still fits with nothing happening, right? None of it's meant to be taken seriously, right? That's hilariously what's happening to the infinite self as most of the time taking out the trash and mowing the lawn, right? <laughs> it's meant to just be like a play or a dream where you can do what you want, like a far-out adventure, um, like the Brahman or Maya, you know? Uh, it's a play, a lila. Everything is a play, uh, as these old ancient terms teach all these old things. So that's interesting. All things have to pass through the aperture of our awareness. That is your singular and infinite consciousness, right? That's all that existence will ever be for you. That's all that there is, okay? Um so reality is just this. It's what's happening right now. When you quit telling yourself thinking about all of it and you quit identifying and like labeling and trying to sort it all out. It's just this without a thought, without judgment, just what is where you're at right here. Now this is it, right? So inescapably, however you really want to think about it, it's, it's nothing different than just one thing. It's what's happening right now. Your reality is just, whatever you're noticing, and that's all it will ever be. It can't be separate or somewhere else unless it appears, even if it appears as an illusion, even if like God appeared to you and was standing across the room trying to talk to you, the idea that he's standing over there talking to you still has to be witnessed by your eyes and ears and consciousness as the witness of that experience, and you have to decide still what that is and what's going on. It's not separate. It's your reality. It was always only ever one thing. And infinity and eternity aren't really real. They're not really going. It's already fulfilled. It's not going anywhere. So the idea is that you're already there and this is it. And you're just kind of lost in your own thing. That's the idea. You've forgotten, right? You're through the other side of the veil. You've forgotten who you really are. Remember who you are. You're the nothing happening. (laughs) I often feel like that, like nothing happening. Okay. Now I'm going to jump around. I'm going to pull up some quotes. I'm going to try and put them up on screen here. Does that work? Yeah. It kind of works there. All right. Okay. I'm going to be showing some quotes and going through these. These are going to jump around from different old uh, gurus, uh, monks from Hinduism, Buddhism. Uh, We've got quotes from Einstein, Gandhi, Gandhi, uh, Muji, Jesus, or from the from the Bible, and they're all talking about the same unified thing, right? The same unified purpose of oneness, non dual intent uh, of self awareness. Atman is no not separate from Brahman. It's all one thing, unification. Okay, here we go. Okay, Adi. Oh, these names. Adi Shankara Charya. There you go. I tried my best there. Like the appearance of silver in the mother of pearl, the world seems real until this until the self, the underlying reality is realized. So he's saying like if you look at it this way, another way this could be said, when you look at a mirror, the reflection is really just a sheen of like aluminum or mercury or whatever, like a reflective silver alloy on the back of a piece of glass, right? The appearance of that, everything within that, seems real until the self, the underlying reality, oh, when you become introspective and you realize that it's you seeing this, is realized. So you don't realize that all reality is just an illusion, not really there, a figment. It's a reflection, like a rainbow through a prism, that's actually passing through the prism of yourself, okay? Next one, okay? This is Adi Shankara, okay? This is an old, 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 old teaching, really cool. A lighted lamp does not need another lamp. This sounds a lot like a Bible quote, but this predates Jesus. I think so. I think it it does. A lighted lamp does not need another lamp to illuminate its light. So to Atman, which is knowledge itself, needs no other knowledge to know it. It's like, where are you looking to find yourself? (laughs) Where are you going to (laughs) go? When you're trying to search for what's going on, like, wait, what's happening? Where are you going to go other than where you're at and what's actually happening when you look around? Oh, I'm sitting on the toilet, (laughs) right? So he's saying like, A lighted lamp does not need another lamp to illuminate its light. So to Atman, which is knowledge itself, your own witness of experience itself, needs no other knowledge to know it. What do you need to know? You already know yourself, right? It's crazy. Okay, this is one of my favorite ones. This is an old Zen proverb that basically means like no matter how awakened or spiritual or enlightened you get, Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. (laughs) Inescapable, this is it. Even if you achieve spiritual enlightenment and transcend everything, you're still just here and you got to put your pants on one leg at a time. That's the ultimate mystical truth of reality that you still are living your life and it's not separate from who you are. Okay, now we're going to get to Einstein, Albert Einstein. Okay, we're talking about reality as a dream, an illusion, a projection that's not separate from the sense of self. Like, a, uh, yeah, all those things. A simulation, a user interface, like Donald Hoffman says. Here's what Albert Einstein says. A human being is part of the whole, called by us universe a part limited in time and space. He experiences his thoughts and feelings as separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his own consciousness. This delusion is a prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to, and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its being and its beauty. Very cool, right? So he's saying that everything is just a sort of mental optical delusion of our own consciousness. The universe as we experience, it's some sort of a delusion of our own consciousness. Interesting. Okay, Erwin Schrödinger, Vedanta teaches that consciousness is singular. That all happenings are played out in one universal consciousness and there's no multiplicity of selves. Very interesting. Okay. Mahatma Gandhi. I believe in Advaita. I believe in the essential unity of man and for that matter of all that lives. Essential unity. Very interesting. Okay. Here's one from the Bible. Some of these are kind of cut off if you're looking on screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Okay? So that's John 1, 1 uh, through 3, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, basically talking about the creation of the universe. All existence, including us, and everything that exists was then reality. It says right there in the beginning was just one thing, one entity, one word in ancient Hinduism, it says, or in the Upanishads, it says that that word was "Om." <laughs> om. basically, like there was a nothing, and then there was a mm, an emergence of awareness that came out, and that was one conscious thing that then manifests into form, everything that is, including us. And that now, if you let's read through this again in terms of Advaita Vedanta. Non-duality, that this is a oneness, okay. Like in that, it's a dream that reality, all can't comes from your conscious perspective of awareness. In the beginning was the word. Okay, just one dream. Just imagine you're alone, like in an isolation chamber. Just the universe is nothing, and you're it. Hmm. You breathe into life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's pretend like this is you. I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but that's the deepest mystical secret, is that it's not separate from existence or you, okay? That it is you, and you're asleep, and you've forgotten who you are. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We take the gender out of that if you want. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. It's like God's having a dream, and it's you, and it's all of us all having a dream. Okay, John 17, verse 23. This is New International Version, if you're into that one, version of the Bible. I in them, and this is Jesus, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. So he talks about this unity and this oneness. We're all supposed to become one with Christ and one with God. This is cut off on the screen if you're looking at this, but I'll read the whole thing. Ramana Maharshi, realization is not acquisition of anything new, nor is it a new faculty It is only removal of all camouflage. The ultimate truth is so simple. It is nothing more than being in the pristine state. This is all that need be said. He's saying that the ultimate truth is so simple, it's just realizing who you are right where you're at. (laughs) And this is what he says about that. Distracted as we are by various thoughts, if we would continually contemplate the self, which is itself God, This single thought would in due course replace all distractions and would itself ultimately vanish. The pure consciousness that alone finally remains is God. This is liberation. And he's saying that this is you. This is the individual perspective of the self, the infinite self. Here's another modern spiritualist, uh, Muji. I like this guy. He's a cool guy. He says, God can never be close. God can never be close because it would mean that there is some place where God is not. God is infinite. We cannot exist outside the infinite. Therefore, God is our reality. Aha! The energy that is everything, even the sense of all that's happening in your life and who you are, That when you pick up the apple on the table and you look at it and take a bite and see what it tastes like, That's all supposedly a manifestation of the one thing that is you, the perception that you have, your infinite self, your one eternal (laughs) now, who you are now and what you're going through. Very interesting. God can never be close because that would mean that there is somewhere he's not. How can he be outside of you? Maybe he is you. Ooh, it's a mystery. That's the deepest mystery. Here's another one. Okay, Nisargada Maharaj. Okay, this is uh, I Am That, 1973. What happens, happens to you, by you, through you. You are the creator, enjoyer, and destroyer of all you perceive. Tell me that's not true. You could argue that till the day you die, and you're going to lose. It's not, That's the truth. Whatever happens... Happens to you by you through you. You're the creator and joy and destroyer of everything that you perceive. Your reality will only ever be what you're noticing. That's it. Okay. Here's one. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to lean in on this one. It's really small. Okay. So this is an Upanishad. This is an old ancient Upanishad <clears throat> called Nothing Exists. Upanishad number eighty-two. It says. Uh. As a young student of Zen... Oh, this is a Zen koan here. This is a Zen koan. Sorry about that. Um, Yamaoka Teshu, a young student of Zen, visited one master after another. He called upon dokon of Shokuku. Desiring to show his attainment, he said, uh, the mind Buddha and a Uh, And sentient beings, after all, do not exist. The true nature of phenomenon is is emptiness. So this is the student saying, the mind Buddha and sentient beings, after all, do not exist. So he's saying nothing exists. The true nature of phenomena is emptiness. There is no realization, no delusion, no sage, no mediocrity. There is no giving and nothing to be received. Oh God. And then Dokon, who was smoking quietly, said nothing. Suddenly, he walked Yamako, Yamaka, <laughs> I can't say that name right, Yamaoka, with his bamboo pipe. This made the youth quite angry. If nothing exists, inquired uh, Dokkan. Oh my gosh, Dokkan, where did this anger come from? all <laughs> right so basically he's saying oh i've learned through meditation the student says that there, after all there's nothing that exists that is this is all emptiness their realization is all delusion uh this there's all there really is no reality oh my gosh you know so he has this big profound breakthrough while he's meditating that this is all a dream and an illusion but you know what's not separate from that <laughs> getting cracked with the bamboo pipe You still got to chop wood, carry water. That's part of the infinite, perfect wholeness of what is in eternity, is what you're doing right now. And so your relationship with it is all of it. Okay. Uh, Here's another modern spiritualist, Eckhart Tolle. He says that he believed that Jesus realized his oneness with God and he showed what he attempted to do. Uh, What he attempted to do was show the way to all of us, how to realize our own oneness with God. So he is a precursor. So even Eckhart Tolle says that oneness was what Jesus was trying to teach. So that's what he says too. Okay. Rene Descartes, uh, in his lecture called The Discourse on Method, okay, philosopher, he says the philosophy of I think, therefore I am. This is the full, more of the full quote. And as I observed that this truth, I think therefore I am, uh, was so certain and of such evidence that no ground of doubt, however extravagant, could be alleged by the skeptics capable of shaking it, I concluded that I might without scruple accept it as the first principle of the philosophy of which I was in search. So he's saying you can't know anything until you realize that you can't, everything begins with the sense of self. I'm thinking right now, I'm here and aware, so I know I exist. Outside of that, can't quite be sure. It's hard to know. And then I'll just touch on a little spooky layer that maybe we can talk about in another podcast in the future, which is a quote from Sam Harris that has to do with free agency. How can we be free as conscious agents if everything that we consciously intend is caused by events in our brain that we do not intend? and of which we are entirely unaware of. We can't. I mean, this is meaning like if your thoughts and consciousness and memories occurring within molecules of your brain in which you don't have any conscious awareness of control over, then how can you say that you have free will? Very interesting. I don't know. Here's another quote, John 17, 21 through 22 from the Bible, that they may all be one as thou art, Father art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Advaita Vedanta, Yashamiti, third level of Kabbalah, all of this stuff, (laughs) all talking about the same thing. Here's a Catholic priest, St. Francis of Assisi, What you are looking for is where you are looking from. Okay. Here's another one. Stephen LeBerg, we read from him a little earlier. Our brain simulates reality, so our everyday experiences are a form of dreaming, which is to say they are mental models, simulations, not things as they appear to be. Swami Vivekananda, old uh, Buddhist Advaita, or uh Hindu Vedite uh, <laughs> Swami Vivekananda. We'll give him credit for who he is. The essence of Vedanta is that there is but one being, and that every soul is that being in full, not a part of that being. Every being is. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. The essence of Vedanta is that there is but one being, that every soul is that being in full, not a part of that being. Okay. Very interesting, you guys. Um, here's the whole thing. Is the point is is that when we talked about this at the beginning, we were talking about paying attention to what it's like, your entire experience of reality when you're in a dream. It's as real as it gets. You're really there. You're really you're on the road or you're in the house or you're in the horror story. Whatever's going on in the dream is 100% all coming from your one conscious perspective of reality, and you're in it, but you're also it. And these ancient teachings of Advaita, non-duality, Advaita Vedanta, um, non-dual Kabbalah, uh, all these core teachings, uh, even of ancient, of Christianity, a lot of this stuff is all teaching about unification or oneness. Is all this idea that everything that you experience in your reality has to be experienced through the aperture of who you are, your perceptions of awareness, where you sit and how you feel about it, what you think uh, or what you don't think about it, and how involved you get, how entangled you get or not. uh, is all like a superposition, like a dream. It's real but not real. You are the creator of it, but also you feel lost in it and can never understand it. You feel awake and lucid in it, but you can't really do anything, and the idea is that this is all the same deal and you're it, Right? So if you wanted to visualize it, imagine emptiness of space, and there's just nothing but an awareness of consciousness, one thing, and that's you. Over a trillion, trillion, infinite passages of time, even though time is an illusion, eventually you'd start to imagine things, and that imagination, as real as it got, would be all there ever would be. And that would be you imagining all of it like a dream or a simulation or a virtual space, like a holodeck on the Starship Enterprise. (laughs) Who knows what's going on? Or this is some, you know, it just depends on, do you feel like you're really lost in it? Is this like a simulation? Do you really think like we're spirits thrown down here in actual physical bodies, like the first lowest level of Kabbalah? This is real, and then you go to another dimension. What are we talking about when we talk about these other dimensions? And even if you're there in that other dimension, that reality will still just be one thing, your perception of awareness of that dimension, right? Unless you attain some dimensional perception where you become all things, maybe that's what it's like when you're dead. Oh, those are fascinating principles. You guys, let me know what you think. I'm going to wrap this podcast up for now. This is touching on non-duality, Advaita, The old third level of Kabbalah, all the ancient lifting of the veil (laughs) to achieve oneness, wholeness, the perspective, unification, realizing your own true self, all these interesting, deep mystical things that we're unafraid to talk about here. Hope you enjoyed the vibe today on the podcast. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. I had a good time. I'm glad I got some of my equipment figured out. Uh, We'll get better at it as we go. And uh, thanks so much for joining me. We'll see you guys next time.